Hi, listeners, and welcome to the When in Spain show. I'm your host for this podcast, Paul Birch. Wherever you're listening from, I hope you're well and uh, looking forward to the end of winter, the beginning of spring proper. Uh, I'm coming to you from Madrid, and it's certainly warmed up here in the last uh, week or two. Um, I've got the balcony doors wide open, so you might hear a bit of background noise from the street and the antique shops uh, down below. To all of the regular listeners, hello there. And, uh, well, if you're new to the podcast and you've just uh, stumbled across the show, uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you uh, continue to do so, and I hope you uh, enjoy the show. Coming up in this episode, I'm going to be talking culture shock. Yeah, culture shocks that, uh, well, affect us when we travel to other countries or, or come and live in other countries. And in my case, uh, I've made a list of nine culture shocks uh, for me here in Spain. Things that I still struggle with, things that I still can't get my head around, things that I still uh, bug me or annoy me. Um, but they're not all negative. There are culture shocks that still blow me away in a positive way. And I think, oh my God, wow, that's, I can't believe that this still exists or that this happens, etc., etc. Uh, here in Spain. So we're looking at culture shocks in this episode. I've got nine of them to share with you. But what is a culture shock? It's a really, really common uh, phrase that we all bandy around, but I thought I'd just look and check the definition. It's the feeling of disorientation experienced by someone when they are suddenly subjected to an unfamiliar culture, way of life, or set of attitudes. Uh, and some of the other definitions note uh, anxiety, loneliness, and confusion that people sometimes experience uh, when they first arrive in another country. Well, it's true. I guess culture shocks affect us most at the beginning uh, when we move to another country. The culture shocks I'm sharing with you today are, for me, ones that, you know, several years living in Spain, I still can't get my head around them. So, without further ado, let's take a look at culture shocks in Spain. Okay, so the first one I'm going to start with, uh, well, I'm going to call it volume control. Volume control. Noise. Spain is loud. Yeah, according to the World Health Organization, uh, from data going back, I think this data is going back a few years ago. So, okay, this may not be completely up to date. To give you an idea, I'm recording this with my balcony doors open and you're going to hear a lot of background noise going on. According to the World Health Organization, uh, Spain is the second noisiest country in the world after Japan. I can believe that. And, you know, I don't think it's just me. I think this is a quite common common observation from lots of people who come to live in Spain. Madrid could be an exception, being a very big capital city. But I, I don't know. I've noticed this in lots of other places around Spain, smaller cities and towns as well. So let's get into it in a bit more detail. In Spain, people do tend to live on top of each other. The bigger cities are incredibly densely populated and most people tend to live in uh, apartments, apartment blocks. Uh, whereas back home in, in, in England, in the UK where I'm from, most people tend to live in houses which are a bit more, a bit more spread out, uh, less densely packed. Uh, each uh, house has its own garden or backyard and the curious thing with Spanish apartments is a lot of them have this interior kind of patio area like an interior courtyard and most apartments would have windows that 
look out onto the street and they will also have windows that look out onto this interior courtyard and this interior courtyard uh, is where people hang up their washing where people put their their rubbish outside this kind of thing and it uh, can often be the entrance into their apartments and this uh, interior courtyard has kind of coined this term or phenomenon known as radio patio or radio patio now what is radio patio when i first heard this it really made me laugh but it's uh yeah it's, it's kind of true so these inner courtyards and imagine like i don't know a six or seven story uh, apartment block with all sorts of windows opening out onto this interior courtyard from all different um, apartments it causes a kind of echo chamber effect so this is where the radio patio comes from. So basically residents broadcasting all sorts of aspects of their day-to-day life for all of the neighbours to hear. Windows open because most of the year it's warm and you don't need your windows closed. So windows wide open and people going about their daily lives with all of the sounds and noises associated with that echoing around the interior courtyard for all the neighbours to hear. You will hear um, family arguments, phone conversations. I've heard people ordering things over the phone and giving their credit card details. And I've heard the credit card numbers, number for number, because they speak quite loudly and it also echoes all around uh, the inside of the apartment block. Yeah, arguments, you hear TV shows blaring, you kind of get to know what TV programmes your neighbours enjoy watching. I've noticed a lot of the older residents, a lot of the old abuelas, uh, the old uh, grannies, like uh, like their quiz shows and news programmes, uh, Wheel of Fortune, that kind of thing. A really common thing, most days you'll hear people preparing their, their, their evening meal or their lunch, so you'll hear the sound of things being chopped on a chopping board as well you'll hear the sound of frying you'll hear the sound of crackling oil in a pan you'll hear the sound of food blenders food processors people grinding coffee Uh, you could almost guess what's on the menu because not only do you get the sound but you also get the smells uh, drifting from people's kitchen windows into the courtyard and into your uh, and into your apartment which is most of the time actually quite nice because a lot of the time it smells really 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 good um what else yeah arguments friends obviously music playing and uh, choruses of orgasms of people having sex as well is not uncommon believe me even when you're in the the uh supposed sanctuary and tranquility of your own home um it's a pretty noisy experience I've always thought that eating out as well should be a relaxing experience going out for a restaurant with your loved one or with a group of friends you know should be able to hear each other speak um well i'm afraid it's rarely the case uh you go to most restaurants uh cafes anywhere where you go and sit down to eat whether it's at lunchtime or in the evening the sort of background hubbub quickly reaches like really boisterous kind of cacophony where groups of diners are shouting over each other across the table um in fact, that, that goes for most conversations in public. They're rarely um, what I would describe as muted. You know, people do seem to sort of speak. And maybe shouting at each other is a bit exaggerated. But they wouldn't talk in this kind of volume. They wouldn't just speak quietly with each other. They would probably speak at this kind of volume, quite comfortably, quite effortlessly. So uh, for me, it's like, wow, why, you know, you're you're standing or sitting right next to each other. 
why are you talking so loudly to each other? Some of my Spanish friends have said that it's because people like to, uh, when they're trying to get their point across, they often rather than wait for someone else to finish their point, they just start talking over them. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I th- it could be true. I have experienced that sometimes, but not always. You know, uh, Spanish people aren't that impolite that they just start talking over each other, especially among friends and family. But in general, you will find conversations are, in my, for, my, for me, held at a, a higher volume than they would be, for example, back in the UK, uh, where I'm from. And it's really common to hear a conversation sort of started with, Oye, 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 which is hear me, literally means hear me. And I sort of think, yeah, well, <laughs> does anyone have a choice, like, not to hear you? Um, and you notice it in bars when you're trying to order food, order a drink, um, it's very noisy. You will, I mean, in my, with me and my British sensibilities of standing quietly at the bar waiting for the uh, person who's serving the drinks to sort of acknowledge you or ask, oh, are you next? Are you waiting? Forget that. Uh, you know, in a busy bar, you, uh, it's whoever shouts the loudest gets served first. And uh, there's something that I really struggle with, you know. I, I don't know. There's this particular certain kind of voice that i've noticed that spaniards not always but often tend to have which is just at the perfect pitch to kind of slice through cut through all of the jaleo all of the cacophony and noise in the in the bar uh, to get the bartender's attention and it's just something that i really i don't i don't possess i don't have have that skill what else in terms of day-to-day noise that i've noticed here i have to say the car horn is definitely a preferred mode of communication here. I think, you know, back home, people use their horn fairly sparingly. Here it just seems much more exaggerated. You'll hear a car horn more often than you hear a British person saying sorry. I don't know. Um, I'll be interested to see during the course of this recording whether we'll hear any car horns in the background or not. Probably not now that I've said that. But anyway, there's a sound of... uh... Oh, that was a horn. There's a sound of uh, a pull-along suitcase being dragged over cobbles. That's a really common sound, uh, especially in the centre of Madrid now with more and more people coming here. For me, really, it really bugs me because you just see people in their cars and you just think, you know, what is wrong with you? For example, on the street where, where, where we live, um, it's a narrow uh, cobbled street. I think it's one way. And uh, there are a row of antique shops down below. Now, quite often, they'll have little vans stopping and unloading antiques that they're delivering to the shop or people who are collecting. And they will just leave the car running. They will pop into the shop, uh, obviously, leaving their kind of orange flashing lights going to sort of suggest that they temporarily stopped in the middle of the street. There is no room in the street for cars to pass either side. So if a car stops, the street is basically blocked. Now, what you do, what, what happens is you get cars coming up, coming around the corner and stopping behind this obvious parked car which uh, it's got its doors open there's no one in it but it's the, the motor is still running and they've got the lights flashing now people will not even wait you know 10 seconds before they start punching on their horn you know come on come on where are you come out come out and get in your car and go and the sort of level of impatience and frustration that drivers seem to feel in in literally no time at all is really surprising for me so after 30 seconds of uh, the car still being there, the, the the sort of pumping and punching of the horn will turn into leaning on the horn for, you know, five or ten seconds at a time. And, you know, when you live right nearby, it's bloody annoying, frankly, you know, and, and totally unnecessary, I think. 
Uh, another thing I've noticed in heavy traffic, uh, when I'm walking to and from work, uh, I pass some really busy streets in Madrid, busy main roads, and you'll see maybe half a kilometre of traffic crawling along, or and it's stopped because of just of the volume of traffic, or maybe the traffic lights are red. And you'll get people just sitting in their cars, leaning on their horn, pumping their horn, leaning on their horn, as if it's going to miraculously make the traffic lights change colour, or it's going to miraculously make all of the traffic uh, disappear. And you just think, seriously, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? It's obvious, you know, it's rush hour. Leaning on your horn is not going to change the situation. It's just going to piss off lots of other people, including me. Um, it just seems like it's just childish, really childish behavior, like a little kid. Like, oh, I can't move. I'm going to beat my horn. Uh, you know what I mean? It's so, I don't know. Ugh. I find that really frustrating and I just don't understand it. I suppose maybe it's a way of the driver just venting their frustration. But, you know, it's not something that I'm familiar with uh, back home in the UK. Dogs barking. Again, I've noticed this much more than back home. I don't know if it's because dogs are cooped up in apartments for long periods of time and when they get out into the street, they bark at anything and everything. It's one thing that does surprise me in Spain is the majority of people do live in apartments and that they keep dogs, and not just small dogs. Uh, I've got a neighbour downstairs who's got two giant dogs that she keeps in a fairly small apartment. But yeah, at a certain time of day, uh, either just before uh, the evening meal, or just after, so I don't know, about 9.30, 10, 10.30 at night, you'll see a lot of people out walking their dogs, and this will lead to a hell of a lot of barking in in the streets when different dogs uh, meet each other. And then once that's done and dusted, people are back in there to watch their primetime TV. What are you faced with? About half past midnight. Here in Madrid, it happens six nights a week or five nights a week, Monday, I think Monday to Friday. The rubbish collection, so the rubbish, household rubbish and waste, which is put down into bins in the street. The truck will rock up uh, outside your front door, outside your balcony at about half past 12, one o'clock. For the rubbish collection, banging around in the street, shouting to each other, the sound of the truck lifting the bins and emptying them into the back of the truck. Oh, God. And then after 1am, things do tend to settle down a bit. OK, culture shock number two that I can't seem to get my head around. Uh, well, this idea of what I might call spatial awareness or maybe personal space. Um, I don't know, personal space in Spain is personal, but in the sense that it is very personal, i.e. it's very intimate. <laughs> um, I don't know, I've lost count of the times that I've been in a bar and it's been crowded and busy and I've just been, I felt someone put their hands on my shoulders and physically move me to one side, um, like someone is just repositioning me out of the way uh, as if I was like you know a bar stool or a piece of furniture or something no kind of oh excuse me oh sorry can I get past please no just just moved pushed almost out of the way uh, lots of pressing up against each other you know people don't seem to care about that I think where I'm from <laughs> being very British people tend to avoid any kind of physical contact with strangers where at all possible. So if that means saying, oh, excuse me, uh, can I get through, please? Or maybe just tapping someone lightly on the shoulder and signalling that you want to pass them. That's the preferred uh, method. Here, people just squeeze, push, push their body up against you, press past you without saying anything, without saying, sorry, excuse me. Um, 
and this is common on the metro another thing that annoys me is your uh, annoys me as well especially on the underground or on buses uh, is people will walk so close to behind you that they're almost their chest is pushing into your back as if to say move quickly move more quickly please i'm here uh, the other one you'll find as well is like you'll feel a hand on your back pushing you forward which i find well rude frankly and, and, and annoying you know just say excuse me can i get past or you know it's obvious there are you know hundreds of people trying to move in the same direction you know just get over it uh, another thing i've noticed is that people tend to that people tend to be a bit oblivious here uh when they're what i would say in the way you know they're standing in the way so you you know you're trying to get out of a shop or a bar or a building and you'll have a group of people just stood in the doorway chatting away to each other totally oblivious that it's a doorway and that people are trying to get in and out uh, and people will be going in and out pushing past them and they won't sort of think oh we're stood in the doorway let's move to one side uh, no no just stand carry on standing where they are blocking the way uh, talking and chatting of course at quite a loud volume as well um same things happen happens on narrow pavements you know on busy shopping streets people will be just stood slap bang in the middle of the pavement uh gossiping away chatting away totally oblivious that you know it's a busy street a busy pavement people are trying to get past um and you know you're just sort of expected to you know dodge into the street and not just that the thing that annoys me is they see you they will make eye contact with you and see you coming and doesn't register it's just like yeah and you know i'm i'm here i'm here walk around me and it, and i've had exp i've had situations where that's happened and i've been carrying you know six bags of really heavy shopping there's been times when i've been i think when we moved i was carrying a bookcase down the street which is obviously cumbersome and heavy do people make any effort to try and sort of think oh this guy's struggling a bit here he's carry carrying something really heavy let's sort of move out of the way a little bit let him pass no 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 that doesn't happen and finally, another thing to do with spatial awareness, which I've noticed here, which is I find pretty terrifying, is uh, driving. It's how people drive. Oh, my God. Uh, it's pretty bad. People drive really close to each other at high speed. So I'm thinking if you're traveling down a motorway, uh, you know, 110, 120 kilometers per hour, people will drive really close to the back of the car in front of them, like petrifyingly close. And there were a couple of times when we've been driving at night in heavy rain and people don't seem to care. There's been uh, occasions when we've driven in really heavy uh, fog and people don't care. They drive really quickly right up to the, the car behind them, about one metre gap. Uh, and it's terrifying to see and you think god you know it's surprising there are not more accidents um it's you know, just quite discourteous really discourteous driving people cutting each other up uh a classic is like i don't know it seems to me that i'm sorry but spanish drivers are not very good at using roundabouts so they just put themselves in any old lane the lane which will get them to the roundabout the quickest and then once they reach the roundabout then try and cut across into the lanes that they need to make the exit that they that they need rather than just choosing the lane they need for the exit you know 200 meters before the roundabout but it might be a bit busier no 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 drive on the emptiest lane and then cut across all of the traffic and of course uh, with extreme use of horn to let people know that they're doing so 
another culture shock. And don't worry, these are not all going to be negative. I've got some positive ones coming up. But, you know, these are genuine culture shocks that I have witnessed since I've been here. Adventures with customer service, I'm going to call this. Um, I know whether it's a bar, a shop, a restaurant, uh, a bank, uh, whether it's some kind of government office where you need to do some paperwork. I would say that when customer service is good in Spain, it's fantastic. It's great. Friendly, smiley, helpful, everything you want uh, and, and efficient as well when it's good. However, when it's bad, it's not just, you know, so-so. When it's bad, it's absolutely terrible in my experience. Now, I'd say the balance of customer service is sort of 50-50. I would say on the whole, the level in general of customer service in Spain is probably definitely not as good as back in the UK or well, certainly in America. I'm um, not sure about other European countries so much. But when it's bad, it's pretty terrible. In fact, it's very bad. Uh, in the years that I've been living here, I've found that this sort of poor level of atención al cliente is a fairly common occurrence. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, you could sort of argue that, you know, the sort of very direct, abrupt and you know, quite surly interactions that you get uh, in a lot of places. Uh, maybe it's better that they're just like that and they're, they're, at least they're being genuine, genuine compared to the sort of overly gushy and fa uh, fake and forced have a nice day <laughs> approach that you get in uh, more Anglo-Saxon countries. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's an argument for that. But I found that customer service in Spain, you know, as a customer, you are not king. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like your presence is somehow a kind of nuisance and that your custom is actually detrimental to the mood of uh, of, of many people in customer service positions. And I, yeah, I kind of think it's, it is the case. The encounter, uh, most encounters in shops, bars, etc. are purely transactional. It's purely transactional. Um, and, you know, just recently, in fact, I was travelling through Barajas Airport to go back to the UK and I was buying a coffee at the airport. There were two girls working behind the counter and one of them was complaining and complaining about how tired she was to her colleague right in front of me while she was serving me, while she was handing me the coffee and taking the money. She was moaning and complaining to her colleague. Oh, I'm so tired. Oh, God, I can't wait to go home. I can't wait for the shift to end. I'm so tired. And OK, yeah, poor girl, she probably was and the job conditions are probably not great and I, we've all been there but don't complain in front of the customer surely it's not good uh, another thing I've noticed as well and again this happened I was in a uh, bar with Karina uh, at the weekend or last week uh, ordering um, some tacos and a beer in fact it was a Mexican restaurant and the, the the atmosphere behind the bar was really bad there were about six employees which was quite surprising quite a lot actually for a small uh, restaurant uh, they were all arguing with each other. There was a really horrible atmosphere. They were arguing. There was like sniping and bitching going on with like one of the managers and another other members of staff, all within view of customers. Now, I don't know. Perhaps I'm too sensitive. But I, again, back in the UK, this would be really frowned on. It'd be really like unprofessional. You do not argue and you do not talk about how tired and how shit you feel in front of customers. You just don't do it. You take your argument out the back where it can't be seen or heard. Recently, another example happened in my local supermarket. 
uh, a well-known supermarket chain, uh, the lower end of the sort of quality spectrum. I won't say any more than that. Uh, but we went in to buy some bits and pieces. We got to the till. There was no one at the till. There were three women, uh, members of staff, just stood chatting to, I think it looked like a friend who'd come in to just have a chat with them who was visiting. And they were chatting away. They could see us still at the counter until Karina said, oh, excuse me, uh, hello. And one of them sort of rolled her eyes and said, yeah, yeah, okay, someone's coming, someone's coming. As if to say, you know, don't interrupt us, we're having a, we're having a conversation here. And none of the three uh, ladies who were talking actually came to the checkout. What they then did was then shout to another member of staff who was at the back of the supermarket stacking shelves, I think, a young guy. Uh, he was shouted at, Come, you know, get your ass up to the till, please. There are people waiting. And then proceeded to continue with their conversation. I mean, just eye-wateringly bad customer service. Terrible. I mean, everyone will agree that I think the, the pace of life is slower in Spain. And that is one of its many, many, many uh, good points. Um, but this sometimes can become frustrating if you're in a hurry for something. For example, uh, quite often I just want to have a, a cup of coffee in a bar. Uh, pay the bill and go. Now, quite often there's a lot of waiting around involved, you know, um, waiting to uh, attract the attention of the waiter, waiting for him to bring the bill out, waiting to receive the change. And, you know, on the whole, I find it a really civilised system that you pay after you've ordered when you want to go, that you don't pay up front, that you sit down, they bring you the bill, they you pay, they come back and bring you the change. I think it's great. When you're in a hurry, it's kind of frustrating to the point where some of my Spanish friends, I've learned this I, this approach. They they adopt the sort of sinpa approach, which sinpa, uh, if you're not sure, means uh, sin pagar, and it's when people disappear without paying. They do a runner basically without paying the bill, uh, and so they adopt the sinpa approach. So they they wait. They've asked for the bill maybe three times. The bill still hasn't arrived. They want to go, so they start standing up putting their coats on and uh, make it look as if they're about to walk away. Believe me, this will get your, this will get the attention of the waiter quick smart. Spaniards seem to have a very high tolerance threshold um, when faced with poor customer service. And I'm not, I don't very often hear them complaining very much when they do receive poor customer service. Um, I think one solution maybe is to become a regular. If we're talking about bars, become a regular so at first maybe if they're not sure of you they don't know you they might be a bit surly become a regular in a bar and it's a bit like tapas the more beers you order the bigger the tapa becomes and the better it becomes and maybe that's a way to look at it that the more you uh you frequent a bar the more you patronize a bar the better the, le the level of customer service will become over time as they get to know you and i've noticed that um as well um, but then begs the question, shouldn't customer service just be good right from the outset? In defense of bad customer service, in Spain, I think economics has a lot to answer for, particularly la crisis, la crisis from, you know, uh, well, 10 years ago now, I suppose, more the worst of the crisis. I think what happened was a lot of businesses really cut back on staff. And I think even though Spain has more or less recovered from the crisis, uh, the economic crisis, companies, shops, bars, restaurants are still very uh, cautious, shall we say, in employing lots of staff to do a job. And I think there's still this mentality of 
of well why would i employ three people to do a job when i can uh get one person to work really 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 hard and run them off their feet and just pay for one person and i do think there is still this sort of attitude of getting the absolute maximum possible out of with the absolute minimum possible so you know one member of staff running around like crazy uh you know trying to man a really busy bar on their own number four the daily timetable i did a whole episode about the daily timetable in spain last year i can't remember what number it is but if you look if you look in the back catalog of episodes you will see a whole episode dedicated to the spanish uh, daily timetable so i'm not going to go into too much detail on this but i will say that yeah it's something for me i still really struggle with it's probably the thing i struggle with most still in spain is is the daily timetable so you know you think about it you know while a while Spaniards are finishing off their their natillas, their their custard dessert from their menu del día in a restaurant, uh, back in the UK, workers have already been back in the office for like two hours already. So yeah, the whole timetable in Spain is pushed forward, um, which for me I find difficult. Uh, and yes, yeah, Spain is infamous for keeping late hours. Um, the hardest thing I find with this is meal times. I can't get my head around eating lunch at 2.30 or 3pm. And I can't really get my head around that being like the main meal of the day, quite a heavy meal uh, at lunch. For me, lunch ha- should happen at like half past 12, 1 o'clock, 1.30 maybe at the latest. And it's something light and quick. And then you can get on with your day. It's not this big pregnant pause that we have in the middle of the middle of the day like here in Spain I still struggle with that a lot gradually getting used to it at the evening meal as well you know at 10 9 30 well 9 30 early I would say 10 p.m 10 30 p.m Monday to Friday very late uh, and in the weekends, it will often be 11 p.m. to eat uh, your evening meal. Uh, I, I, I struggle with it. I find it difficult to eat at those hours. I like to uh, eat earlier in the evening. In a way, I've got this kind of get it out of the way mentality so that I can get on relaxing and doing other things with my free time in the evenings. Uh, and the same with the lunchtime. I want to sort of satiate my appetite and then crack on with other things that I want to do. I think for this reason, many people end up staying in the office uh, later. They don't get out of the office until eight o'clock uh, in the evening, seven, seven thirty-eight. And I sort of say to some of my Spanish friends, "Wouldn't you just rather have half an hour for lunch and have something quick and easy, and then finish work at six o'clock instead of finishing work at half past seven or eight, and then you can get home earlier, and then you've got more free time to do whatever you want." Having this sort of two hours in the middle of the day. It's kind of dead time. You can't really use it productively. You can't really do anything or go anywhere. You you come back home, you eat, and then you've got to go back to work again. Some of my Spanish friends are quite divided on it. Some of them are like, yeah, I wish we could do that. We need to change the working culture. And then the other half of my friends are like, no, 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 no way. You know, my long lunch and sitting down and having a proper break is sacred to me i would never change it but yeah one thing you notice with uh spain is meal times really tend to sort of dictate the timing of everything else uh even things like you know tv shows prime time tv starting at uh, 10 o'clock at night or half past 10 uh is for me insane you know back in the uk at half past 10 
you know, you're thinking about going to bed, you know, Monday to Friday, I'm talking about midweek, half past 10, you're thinking, well, another half an hour, I'll probably hit the sack at about 11 and aim to get to sleep before midnight midweek here. Primetime TV starts at half past 10. And uh, uh, there's another famous noise, which I talked about in the previous episode of the metal shutters going down on the shops because it is lunchtime. Anyway, yeah, and these primetime TV shows finishing, you know, at half past 12, midnight, 1, 1 a.m. And this is taking into account people have still got to get up at 8, 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning the next day and go to work. And meanwhile, they're sitting up watching, you know, uh, <laughs> know MasterChef until 1 a.m. And the other curious thing is the TV shows are really long here. You know, an episode of MasterChef back home would be an hour maximum. And a lot of shows are only half an hour, 45 minutes. Here, they're like three hours long. So the show will start at 10 o'clock and it will go on constantly with obviously breaks for adverts in between until 1 a.m. Culture shock number five. Eating out is as cheap as chips. Yes, it is. It's it's really cheap. As cheap as patatas fritas. Um, this is one fantastic thing I love about Spain. That the emphasis on eating out is is, is 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 quite a big emphasis on eating out here. And I will say three words. Menu del dia. Menu del dia. The daily lunchtime set menu. This is only available uh, Monday to Friday. Uh, and I guess this is sort of one reason why Spaniards do take long lunches, because they might quite often go out to a restaurant uh, on the lunch break. Why? Because it's super cheap. It's really good value. It's a culinary tradition here in Spain that I would say is intrinsic to, to Spanish life and amazing value for money. In fact, it's still, you know, it still amazes me and delights me as well that it's possible to get a three course lunch. Uh, often comes with, uh, often comes with a coffee. It might come with a glass of wine or in some places it might even come with half a bottle of wine. And a basket of bread. Well, at the cheaper end of the spectrum, I've seen uh, menu del dias, menu del dias for uh, 10 euros. 10 euros for all of that. Uh, at the slightly upper end of the spectrum, you might pay 15 euros or maybe even 18 euros in a nice restaurant. But still, for the quantity and the quality of food that you're getting... Absolutely amazing value for money. If anyone is thinking of uh, listening to this and has never been to Spain, don't go to some touristy restaurant. Go and order yourself a menu del dia in a, in a normal, everyday Spanish restaurant. You'll be absolutely delighted with the quality of the food and, and just the value for money. Uh, speaking of which, um, oh, I must just say that the, the bar just down five minutes walk from where we live, a great little bar called Atacapaca. They do a menu del dia for eight euros. Eight euros. Listen and weep. Eight euros for a three-course meal. Uh, the other thing I must say uh, is, <laughs> I think another thing, certainly British people kind of flip out and go crazy. They can't believe it, is how cheap uh, alcohol is in Spain. 180, 170 for a glass of decent uh, local wine. So that's the end of part one of this episode of When in Spain. Coming up in part two, I'll, we'll be sharing the last four culture shocks. Just a note to say that When in Spain has a presence on uh, all of the main social media uh, channels. So uh, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. 
please, 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 if you're interested in all things to do with Spain and Spanish culture, via the Facebook page, you can join up to the When in Spain Facebook group. I think we have about 230 members at the moment. It is a place for anyone to join and share questions, ideas, uh, uh, socialize with any other When in Spain members. If anyone's thinking about coming to live or work in Spain and uh, they want to ask uh, the opinion of other people in the group, you can do all of that on there. If you've been a long-term listener and you still haven't joined it, it's not too late. Get on there. Uh, I occasionally post uh, bits and pieces that I find, newspaper articles, things that uh, intrigue me about life in Spain. Uh, when in Spain is also on Instagram. Get on the uh, When in Spain Instagram uh, page to see photos, uh, many of which relate to the When in Spain podcast episodes. And I've started a YouTube channel. So there is a When in Spain YouTube channel now with a handful of videos on there. The plan is uh, that I replicate the When in Spain podcast in video format. The YouTube channel really does come into its own when I get out and about uh, because you get to see places, not just the sounds of them. You get to see them. So there's a, a one about Christmas in Spain. I'm looking around Christmas markets. Uh, I did a recent one about El Camino del Rey, which is uh, an amazing, breathtaking hike along rickety uh, boardwalks through cliffs and gorges and canyons down by Malaga. Really beautiful. If you want to see some spectacular scenery uh, from Spain, head over to the YouTube channel and check out the uh, El Caminito del Rey episode. You can always get in touch with me directly with any questions, any suggestions and recommendations for the podcast or YouTube channel, or any kind of collaboration that you might want to make with me. You can email the When in Spain email address, which is wheninspain1 at outlook.com. It's when in Spain, the number one, when in Spain one at outlook.com. Enough shameless self-promotion. Let's crack on with part two. The sixth culture shock on my list is how civilized the Spanish are when it comes to drinking. Um, when I'm talking about drinking, I'm talking about drinking alcohol, of course. Um, yeah, you go out and about around, uh, well, here in Madrid, for example, in a city centre on a Friday or a Saturday night. Yes, it's noisy. It's a bit boisterous. There are crowds of people standing outside bars and on the terrazas when it's nice weather, drinking beers, wine, rum and coke, copitas, as they call them here, copitas of uh, different spirits and alcohol. Of course they are. All having a great time. All very uh, animated, uh, etc., all very animated and enjoying themselves. Um, but binge drinking here is just something that hasn't caught on. So I'm thinking back to my homeland. <laughs> and uh, I would say the atmosphere on a Friday and Saturday night in many towns and city centres, it has an air of aggression to it. It has a, an, a, an air of punchiness to it, you know. Uh, in the UK, people go out much, much earlier to start drinking and enjoying themselves on a weekend and for this reason you you know you'll see people staggering around the streets shouting screaming at each other you'll see people sat in the gutter crying they've lost their friends god knows what else um i have to say on average it's just not a very nice what i would call warm atmosphere 
uh, on a weekend in the UK. And I think it's just because of overconsumption of alcohol. Thankfully, here in Spain, I've never really I've never witnessed that. Um, even the phenomenon known as botellón, which is usually uh, young people, teenagers, people in their 20s, sitting around in a square or a public place on a bench with a bottle of uh, booze and they're sharing it. They may be chatting and playing music on their phone or something like that. And it's a fairly jovial affair. You know, no one is getting leery or aggressive. Um, I don't know. Spaniards just seem to have far more respect for alcohol, especially given how cheap and accessible it is. Spaniards drink much more slowly uh, and they don't seem to go out with this aim of getting hammered or getting pissed or drunk. You know, they go out and enjoy themselves and they will drink. Yeah, but they will drink, I don't know, a fairly moderate pace. Uh, you know, back home, it's the mentality is as soon as you're without a beer in your hand, you go and order yourself another one. 2am in a Spanish city centre, you're not going to see people puking into the gutter, people getting into fights with each other, people so drunk that they are literally staggering around, you know, barefoot in the streets, carrying their shoes in their hand. Well, you might see it if they're gearies, I suppose. Uh, number seven on the list. The Spaniards are a touchy-feely bunch. Yeah, they are touchy-feely. Um, and it's not in a bad way. Um, Spaniards are much more tactile than us Brits. And this, again, for me, is something that I found a bit surprising. Well, very surprising at first. Um, and I, I think it's great. I love it because um, it's a way that they express themselves. They just warm and i think spaniards are much more expressive than than us brits um but i think for me and i know certainly in the case of some of my uh, uh, british friends this used to be a bit of a source of confusion and even embarrassing misunderstandings uh, in the past in spain people touch each other during conversations especially amongst close friends but even among people that they maybe have only met for the first time or don't know that well uh, touching each other during conversations happens and it happens quite a lot and I think yeah it's because Spaniards are just warm and I think it's a way for them to engage more deeply with the person that they're conversing with um, especially if they're excited about something they're talking about or they're passionate about something they're talking about or if they feel very strongly about something um, or they want to try and hold your hold your attention they will you know uh, there's this ritual of tap on the leg, on the shoulder, on the chest, strokes, prods, grasping of the arm or the hand, <laughs> the leg, the shoulder. And, you know, I think for certainly for Brits, this can be often misconstrued uh, as flirtation. And it's not flirtation. Not so. Um, and yeah, maybe it can be flirtation you know but it's certainly not a given so yeah in the past um i know i've been it's happened to me and uh, many of my uh, northern european friends have mistook of these have mistook these gestures from girls to to mean that they we thought they were romantically interested and how wrong i was uh number eight on the list uh, well, Viva Small Businesses. Uh, yeah, what I love about Spain, and I've talked about this before, and it's still something that is a culture shock for me, but in a positive way, because I think it's fantastic. Um, it's that people still value and remain uh, loyal to independent shops in any Spanish city centre or everyday neighbourhood or anywhere in Spanish uh, towns and cities. You still find dozens of independent greengrocers, butchers, bakers, grocery shops, candlesticks 
plastic makers, maybe not, but pharmacies, ironmongers, all with their own unique character, sort of family run. They are a bit dated, a little bit run down, down at hill, but they have this charm. They have this old, old world charm to them that I think we lost in the UK at least 30 years ago. And they kind of remind me of the, of my childhood. And certainly compared to the UK with its you know, generic high streets now, I'm afraid, you know, in the last 20 years bars as well you walk into any spanish bar and you know an everyday bar it's not going to be super modern and you know trendy you know you'll notice that the interior probably hasn't been updated since i know the 1970s or the early 1980s and you'll see a couple of old guys you know 80 year olds propping up the bar grunting each other as they sort of pick through a slab of tortilla and sip their little (laughs) Th- sip the little thimbles of beer and uh, sort of glued to an old bulky tv clamped to the wall but i love it i love this kind of environment that's just just disappeared now in the uk the last culture shock on my list is number nine uh the lack of respect for public spaces um sounds a bit harsh but com- again comparing back to the uk there are times when I just think like litter bins, ashtrays and toilets are are just inconsequential. You know, the street itself is like a multi-purpose, you know, toilet, ashtray and bin. And it serves all of these functions day and night. Uh, cigarette flicking, I think, could become a national sport. Uh, you know, people will just flick their cigarettes in the street. They flick them off the balcony. They will flick them out of uh, doorways of bars. And it's something that surprises me. People don't really make any effort to hide the fact that they're just chucking something, very obviously throwing it down onto the street, onto the pavement and onto the floor. Uh, that mentality did exist back in the UK, but somehow we've managed to reprogram people's thinking about this now that, you know, it's seen as really antisocial and not acceptable behaviour in this day and age. Sadly, here in Spain, it still goes on. Um, the saddest thing in this respect that I witnessed uh, last summer, I think it was. Now, around Madrid, for example, out in the countryside, out in the Sierra of Madrid, there are these, uh, they're called pantanos, which are like reservoirs. Um, they're beautiful. They're like big natural. I'm not talking about a concrete reservoir i'm talking about a huge reservoir where they've they've built a dam and they've flooded maybe part of a valley or something like that uh and they're really pretty they're they're sort of surrounded by uh pine forests uh mountains and hills and and streams and rivers uh and it's really common in the summer months for the madrileños to jump in a car and drive out for for a day and go swimming in them and go basking at the edge of these reservoirs and of course, they have picnics, and you know who wouldn't? The tragic thing about it is that uh, they don't seem to have been educated to take away their rubbish afterwards. And you know, it's really shocking sometimes. The times we've been, there are just plastic bags full of bottles, beer cans, cigarette butts, uh, just 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 dumped at the side of the reservoir, dumped in bushes, dumped along the side of footpaths, even though. Uh, you know there is a provision for uh, rubbish 
you know, rubbish bins at the car park. It's just a sheer laziness. Oh, I can't be bothered to carry all my litter to a bin in the car park. Just going to leave it at the side of the reservoir. And it's just that is just really sad to the point where the local council have been putting up notices threatening to close the reservoir to the public if this level of uh, littering and pollution carries on. So I don't know this year whether it will still be open, the one we usually go to or not. But it's just sort of unbelievable, really, you know, carrying on like pigs really isn't it just to, to scar the natural landscape in that way pissing in the street yeah does happen but it happens back in the uk as well and it normally happens back in the uk because it's young drunk people uh, peeing in the corners of the streets uh, it does happen here in spain one thing that surprised me once or twice i've seen like fully grown men you know, middle-aged men, 40, 50-year-olds, in broad daylight, just stopping in the middle of the street to have a piss. So that concludes my list of culture shocks. If you have any of your own culture shocks, please get in touch. Coming up in the next episode... How to learn Spanish successfully. Um, I'm going to do a little trip out in central Madrid to the Real Academia Española and to the Cervantes Institute, the Instituto Cervantes, which are, well, both in charge of the promotion and looking after of the Spanish language. I'm going to be looking at, I'm going to look at my own experience and give some tips and pointers. I'm going to look at resources. I'm going to point out some specific books that I've used. And I'm going to talk a bit about language learning in general, about, you know, the frame of mind, the motivation, all of these kinds of things. So thank you for listening. And until the next episode, adios. Mm-hmm.